0: You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. now, let's get into the podcast. If you're visiting, then welcome. Just a quick catch up for you. Uh, As a church community, we're busy with the Gospel of John. I have said to church that it is my favorite book in the Bible, and that if it was uh, all of a sudden overnight uh, illegal to own more than one book, this would be the one that I choose. It is an absolutely glorious book. Uh, We have said that there are multiple themes in the book of John. Oh, yes. Also, I remind you, we have prepared for you daily devotions. As a church, we've committed to read through the gospel of John in preparation for Easter weekend, which really is just around the corner. Can you believe it? And so my hope is that you are still working your way through those devotions. But what we've said is in John's gospel, there are multiple themes. We understand that. But at the heart of that, we find really this key theme that John wants us to know and understand. And I repeat it every week because it's so important. John wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is so much more than just a historical figure, a good person, a wonderful teacher. Jesus Christ is in fact God himself, that God in the person of Jesus took on flesh, dwelled among us to show us who God is, what God is like, the kind of God that we worship and adore, and by implication not just showing us who God is like, but in fact who we are meant to be like, what, we are, what it means to be fully human. And then supporting that, John says, as part of the heart of his theme of his gospel, is that, is that when we believe in Him, when we put our trust in Him, Jesus Christ, we will see, we will find life, we will find healing and transformation. John wants us to understand that Jesus is relevant for us here today, the year 2023, Jesus Still Matters. And he and he writes his gospel in such a way that he wants you to see and understand how you get to experience this Jesus, what he can do for your life, what he means for you. And so to do that, he gave us, and we touched on this, seven I am sayings, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am truth, absolute truth. Yes, there is such a thing as absolute truth. <laughs> and the life. And so he gives us these seven I am sayings so that we get to see how we can experience Christ in our lives. And then to support that even further, he writes and records seven miraculous signs, miracles that Jesus performed, all pointing to the fact that Jesus is God Almighty. And that when we put our trust in him and believe in him, we find life. And our lives are transformed forever. What we're going to do today, we move to the second part of the book, which starts around chapter 13. Now, the second part of the book is an interesting part of the gospel. If you've not started reading John's gospel, please start. And and then even if you want to skip then chapters 1 to 12, that's fine. I mean, it's not great, but okay, if you really have to. Then start with chapter 13, because in the second part of the book, Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is what's known as, from scholars as the farewell discourse. It is that part of the book where Jesus understands that his time with us is running out. That it's almost time for him to be arrested and he will then be crucified and go to the cross. And so in this time, in those five chapters... John records for us, Jesus, uh, what he says and what he does and what he shows around this kind of last bit of his time here on earth. In other words, we must pay attention. Jesus, understand my time is short. It's running out, so I've got important things to say to you. And so in this farewell discourse, we find three key things that I want to share with you today that Jesus wants, us to, wants to impress upon us. We find an example of how we are to live a commandment of what He wants us to do and how He wants us to treat one another, an example, a commandment, and a promise. Three key things found in this farewell discourse, chapters 13 through to 17. We're going to do the first. We're going to do chapter 13 and 14 today, and then hopefully next week, the last few chapters of the farewell discourse. I mean, just to give you an idea, actually, how important this is, Matthew's gospel so the events around the Last Supper, Matthew's gospel uses 18 verses to explain the Last Supper and the events around that. Mark, 19 verses. Luke, 25. John's gospel, 155. Five chapters. I think we need to pay attention. Do you think John reckons there's some important stuff there for us to get? Five chapters on the events around the Last Supper. And in those events, we find an example, a commandment, and a promise. Let's have a look at them. So I want to read for us from uh, John 13, verses 3 to 5 we have this incredible moment happening. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And in there, we find an example. Side thought quickly, why weren't their feet washed in the first place? (laughs) I wonder. I suspect I, I, I have some suspicions. Maybe something to do with pride. Anyway, you think about that. So they have this meal. Towards the end of the meal, Jesus gets up and he washes their feet. Interesting thought. What I find so beautiful, I I, I shared with you that I love how John writes. It's so poetic. It's so beautiful. I think what you might notice here, what we begin to see here is this marks the beginning of the second part of the book. And what we see is how the beginning of the second half of the book echoes in a beautifully poetic way the beginning of the first part of the book. We find this connection, the beginning of the first part of the book being echoed here by the beginning and the second part of the book. In the first part of the book, let me explain. John, John introduces us to this descending God, descending from heaven, taking on flesh to come and dwell among us. And so God coming down, taking on flesh. At the be- and now the beginning of the second part of the book, yet again we have a descending Jesus. Except this way he descends even more all the way onto his knees. Descending yet again, making himself even lower on his knees to demonstrate, to set an example of what love looks like. And then, of course, beautiful even more so. Later on, we find him descending yet even further to the grave. So here we have God Almighty. Creator of the universe descending to his knees to wash the feet of his disciples. We must understand and comprehend what is going on here. This is enormous. I don't need to remind you that in Jewish culture it is the tradition or the custom for a slave or a servant to wash. The feet of their master. We understand that because there were no Nike tackies and it was all open sandals and they would walk everywhere, there was no public transport. And so they would arrive with dirty feet. And so the custom was to come and wash the feet. But the custom was this, that it was the job of the slave of the servant. And in fact, actually, what you must know is not just any old slave. If you had a servant or a slave and that servant or slave was Jewish, they weren't even allowed to wash feet because that was even beneath them. An inferior washing the feet of a superior. A disciple washing the feet of the master. A slave washing the feet of the king. The lowly for the ruler. But never with the king. Get on his knees and wash the feet of his subjects. A teacher, the feet of his disciples or students. I think the disciples were unable to understand what Jesus was doing here. He was giving us a new vision. First of all, a new, I mean a new vision of what? First of all, a new vision, a new model of a relationship between God and us. But also a new vision, not just of the relationship between God and human beings, but a vision of a new way of being in relationship with one another. With people who are from different backgrounds and cultures and races. He was giving us a new way of being with one another. You see, friends, I don't need to tell you because you know this all too well. That all groups and all of society are structured around a model built on a pyramid. We're at the top. We have the powerful and the intelligent and the wealthy sit there to rule and govern. And at the bottom, we have the servants and the slaves. And the immigrants and the unemployed and the mentally ill and those with disabilities all too often sidelined, marginalized, rejected. Here Jesus comes and he takes the place of someone at the bottom of the pyramid. And he's giving us an example. He is giving us a vision of a new model. And what he's doing is he is transforming, he is replacing the model of a pyramid on which we have built our societies. And in its place, he's given us the model of what? A body. A body. Where there is no last place, where there is room and place and space for everybody. Where we are all interdependent, where we all need one another. We all have a function and a task to fulfill. That's what's going on here. A new vision of how we are to be in relationship with one another. What he's doing is at the same time, he is also, I believe, calling us in washing the feet, taking the lowest of the low position of slaves. He is saying to his disciples and his followers, You and me, will you see? Will you pay attention? I'm setting you the example. Will you pay attention? Be attentive. To the least in society. Will you notice them? Will you see them? Will you pay attention to them? An immensely powerful moment happening here. Also, some more beauty in this passage, in those verses. Wash is symbolic of what? To clean is symbolic of what? Forgiveness, right? And so he was foreshadowing how by his blood we will be forgiven and cleansed and washed clean. Thank you, Jesus. But at the same time, in doing that, he was setting the example and he's saying, Will you go and be models of forgiveness? Will you live that towards one another? An example. Beautiful. Okay. He gives us a commandment as well. So, shortly after he washed their feet, he said these words to them. In verses 34 and 35, Of chapter 13. He said these words to them. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this. Everyone will know. That you are my disciples. If you. Love one another. What's new about it? Well, because in the law of Moses, you remember the Hebrews were told to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, all their mind, everything within them. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know that, right? And so Jesus says, yes, do that. But I want you to love one another more than what you love yourself. In fact, he says, I want you to love them as I, Jesus, loves you. That's what's new about it. And then, oh, so by the way, let me show you what that looks like. Bring your feet, let me wash them. Later on, the cross. The ultimate display of loving sacrificially. He calls us to notice, to be intentional, to look around and notice and see those who I need of lifting up, of kindness, of mercy, of grace, of love, of a hug and an embrace even if they don't deserve it. We understand that this love one another as I have loved you is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. We understand that it's not a romantic love. We understand that. But what he's saying, it is with an intent and a deliberateness To show goodness and kindness towards one another, towards the other person, even if they don't deserve it. Even if it is sacrificial and inconvenient, will you show kindness to one another? As I have loved you. I want to share with you, I shared with the second service last week, one of the coolest stories I have heard in a long time. Leonard, uh, last week, went to the Yumbo to go and buy some gift cards. You, You will know when we have communion, we take up a care fund offering to care for one another, to do what Jesus commanded us to do in John 13. So Leonard goes to go and buy these gift cards. He gets there and he's buying gift cards all of a sudden, bells go off, lights, alarms, things go crazy. I exaggerate a bit, but you know what I mean, right? And the whole thing crashes. And the lady says, I don't know what's going on. My machine's broken. It doesn't want to work. I need the manager. The manager comes. He comes. He looks. He says, I don't know what you've done. You've broken our machine. uh, Our whole system is down. I need to go phone head office. He phones head office. And as it turns out, we have exceeded their daily limit for buying gift cards. <laughs> we crashed their system. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. Crashing Jumbo's gift card system. <laughs> Yesterday, we have made an appeal to you, bring your old clothes so we can share that with one another. And so we had remarkable and beautiful volunteers all week. They're sorting through the clothes by size and sex and and age and just sorting through it, working hard. Yesterday, we had so many people arrive at church and so just saying, here it is, take it. A lady asking, okay, well, where do I pay? You don't pay, it's for free. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. And this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. I remind you that Jesus came to show us what God is like and to show us what it means to be fully human. And so as his time is running out, he says, I'm, listen, gather on, I'm giving you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. I want to show you what it means to be fully human. And I think what John wants us to see here, I think again, second way, I think that this first part of the second part of the book uh, connects beautifully with the first part of the first part of the book. John wants us to see here that with Adam and Eve pulling in creation. How things didn't work out because they weren't interested in anything other than their own well-being. They wanted what they wanted. And so here, he echoes that creation and what he's saying. Jesus has come to recreate, to show us a new way. That the way, he says, by this everyone will know how you love one another. Almost saying, this is how the world's healed. This is how healing will come to our world. When my people love one another in a sacrificial way the way that i have loved them come and create in me a new heart o oh god a heart that longs for you and to serve you and your people to put others before myself so that i might find healing and the world around me recreating love it so good okay are you a loving person do you reflect the love of jesus every day okay i'm almost done and finally so that's the commandment an example a commandment and at the beginning of chapter 14 in this farewell discourse he gives us a promise let me read it do not let your hearts be troubled You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Beautiful words. And in that, so after after supper, he washed their feet. He spoke these words, "I'm, I'm giving you a new way of living, a new commandment. He shared with them that he has to leave them. And I'm sure that he could judge by uh, the, their facial expressions, the panic in their eyes, that, where are you going? Why? That he said to them, I have to leave, but don't be afraid. And then he gives them a promise, I'll be back for you. I think this is so Beautiful. He speaks these beautiful words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. In my Father's house is many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back for you. Words that we speak at funerals. Pastors say these words at funerals, right? I think the imagery that he uses about the Father's house is so beautiful he says, Heaven, speaking of heaven, it's the Father's house. Speaking of, and earlier in the Gospels, he talks about the temple <laughs> as the Father's house. So, which one is it? <laughs> well, I think the temple where people worshiped is a foreshadowing of heaven and what heaven uh, is going to be like a foretaste of the glory. And so what I do sometimes, friends, is what I, what I sometimes say to people who, whose loved one has passed away and really struggling with that. You know what I say to them sometimes? say, you are never as close to your loved one as when you come to worship. Worship is one of those beautiful spaces where heaven and earth meet. We know what goes on in heaven. We all are bowing before his throne, worshiping him. And so while I am here worshiping God, praising Him, connecting with Him, while I'm doing that here, I am joining with all the saints that have gone before me in heaven as they are worshiping God, I'm worshiping God, and we are closer than what we've ever been. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. For in my father's house in many rooms. The, the imagery he uses about the father's house is so beautiful. The word father's house is an interesting word. It is uh, the word "okea And uh, don't worry about my pronunciation. Oikia. Sounds for house. It sounds a lot like a word you know. Ikea. Now, I don't know if that's intentional. I'm not saying it is, right? I I don't know. Maybe that was just a coincidence. But the word oikia is house. But what Jesus is saying here is so much more. Here's the promise he's making to his disciples. Here's what he wants us to know as we go out and love in obedience, when it's inconvenient, when it's sacrificial, as we go and we wash one another's feet. He's saying, here's the promise I make you. There's room in my father's house. And that word oikia is so much more than just four walls and a roof. What it actually implies, it implies a home. It implies the place where the family meets, where the family gathers. And what he's saying is, in my father's household, with all the family together, there's room enough for you. And then I love this. I don't know if you've noticed this. He says, and then when the time comes, when the time comes, I will come for you. He's not saying, listen, I will send some angels to come and collect you. You know, I'll send Peter or Abraham or Moses to come and get you. Have you noticed? He says, no, no, no. I will come for you. I will come and get you. Jesus himself promises that I will come and take you to be in my Father's house when that time comes. So do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled because I will be back for you. What a beautiful promise. So in this farewell discourse, we have an example that we are meant to serve one another. We have a commandment that we are meant to love one another And we have a promise that He will be back for us. Beautiful passage of Scripture. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.